Hi, I'm Carly Zakin. And I'm Danielle Weisberg, and we're the co-founders of The Skim. Welcome to our podcast, Skimmed from the Couch, presented by Delta. On every episode, we invite smart, inspiring, successful women to talk openly about what it takes to get to the top and what it's like when you get there. So this is a podcast about the real stuff, the crappy days, the bad advice, the first big career win, and the people who are there for the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. We started the skim from a couch, so we only have one rule on this couch, no BS. Before we introduce you to our guests, we want to introduce you to our ultimate travel partner, Delta. Seriously, like we're really happy Delta is sponsoring because we really like them, especially since we upgraded to Delta Comfort Plus, which gives you priority boarding and unlimited snacks and drinks on the flight, which is very necessary for us. Delta, thank you. You clearly know the way to our heart. It is paved with unlimited snacks and drinks. So please join us in welcoming Sally Krawcheck. She's the co-founder and CEO of Elvest, a digital investment platform for women. Go check it out. It's amazing. Sally started Elvest in 2014. Before that, she's had a number of successful years in the finance industry, including as the former CEO of Merrill Lynch Global Wealth Management. She's been on Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People and is the author of the book, own it, the power of women at work, which I think we can all get behind. Mm-hmm. Sally, welcome to the couch. Thank and you. also, we just want to start off by saying thank you. Uh, you've been such a role model for us, oh. and uh, we never would have gotten um, this far without the amazing women that paved the way, and also having women that we could turn to and ask questions that we genuinely did not know the answer to. Oh, thank uh, you. So. Thank you. Well, I remember meeting with y'all at a restaurant down yeah. near Union Square. <laughs> exactly. I was just uh, back at the beginning. Yeah. And look at what y'all have done. Oh. It's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. Thank you. Well, So I think it goes without saying, like when people talk about women in finance or finance in general, your name is synonymous. You can't talk about that without mentioning (laughs) you. And I think part of the reason is that there weren't that many women coming up in finance. So I kind of just want to start, like, how did you become you? How did you get that (laughs) that tier? Like, where are you from? How did that happen? Oh, so so much hard work. Um, You know, I grew up in the South. I moved to New York when my father forbid me to move to New York because it was too dangerous. I went into Wall Street as a career, not because I wanted to stay there, but because I wanted to be a journalist and I wanted to learn something. Um, And was that right out of college? I was right out of college, right out of college. And I hated it. And I was sexually harassed. I mean, I could go on and on with the stories, but um, I ended up loving my job. I ended up loving being a research analyst and digging into the numbers and building the spreadsheets and writing companies up and I loved all of it. I think we have we have a good amount of friends in finance. I don't know if any of them would say that they love being a research analyst. Oh, I Why loved do it. you like what did you love? Well about first of it, all, it was you? a pretty singular yeah. job. So whereas in investment banking it was you're on the team and you gotta try to get credit for it and you gotta try to get on the good teams mm-hmm. and you gotta try to get away from the bad deals. As a research analyst it was me and my associate researching companies and if I was right it was me, and if mm-hmm. I was wrong, it was me. And the gender stuff, for the most part, fell away, right? The thing of, gosh, it's me and all the guys, yeah. and I got, you know, they're being so aggressive, and it was just, am I right? And people had to speak to me if I was right. And what I actually found a lot of people say, did being a woman in finance or in equity research help you or hurt you? I always answer yes. This is both. Mm-hmm. And for a period of time, 
if my research was good, you couldn't forget me, right? Because right. I was the woman. And then, you know, you could forget the guys. Oh, he, he's good. He, he's wearing a gray suit. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was a red tie. I think he had glasses, but you couldn't forget the woman. Yeah. Was at what point? I mean, you know, we could spend like a week talking oh. about you know every every step of the way to your career to get to to the level that you got to, and and obviously where you are today. But at what point, like, did you have a moment where you know you go look in the mirror and you're like, this is happening. Like, I'm going to get a CEO title. Like, I am going to rise to the top. Like, this is really happening. For me. <laughs> um, you know, there were there were there were more along the way of this is happening. I'm going to get fired. Um, before you ever got to that. So when I became, I was telling a friend of mine this morning, when I first got my first management role, my mentor, who was the star of the department, quit in anger on the trading floor because he didn't want to work for me. Wow. So I had stuff like that happening along the way where you just thought this, I, I don't, I'm never going to be CEO because I'm never mm-hmm. going to get another, you know, I'm never going to work another day. Uh, but really it was after having been director of research at an equity research department, Sanford Bernstein, where we had made a bet that the internet bubble of 99, 2000, 2001 was a bubble Mm -hmm. and that it was not going to continue for forever. And we adjusted our business to be ready for that when, in fact, it became clear it was a bubble and that Wall Street was corrupt around this issue, that research analysts were working hand in glove with investment bankers, you know, saying one thing to the public, saying another thing to, you know, in emails to their colleagues. And we were the ones who had made the bet fully on research. And our business zoomed, and I ended up on the cover of Fortune magazine as a last honest analyst. And so— What was that like? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) The picture was huge. And there's a mole on my chin that I had removed. But it became clear when I saw the picture that it had not been fully removed. Oh, my gosh. So I remember walking through the airport in my— Was that the first thing you thought? Of course. I'm like, dang, damn mole. I thought I got—no, you're right. It's still there. You know, because my New York apartment wasn't well lit enough to see that they had missed part of the mole. But there was this moment of standing, as it turned out, at the airport of my hometown of Charleston, South Carolina, looking at a literally bigger-than-life photo of myself on the cover of Fortune. And you're like, son of a bitch. Yeah. Like, I did it. Like, I did it. who did you, like, who did you call? Did you— My dad. Yeah. And what was that conversation like? Oh, he was so proud. You know, I always call my—he's always the first call. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, when we talk about the story and, you know, we're obviously, we, we don't have hours upon hours. So it sounds, you know, I don't want to say easy, but it's like, okay, you were just really gifted analyst mm-hmm. and then you get this cover and you get this promotion and you call your dad yeah. and it's like the best movie yes. ever. What, you know, when you think about what was hardest and you think about like when you're th- th- that climb that anyone and especially a, mm-hmm. a woman in a, in a really male dominated field has, you know, who who were and did you have those kind of like SOS 911 calls? Like yeah. who were the people that you could call and be like, yeah. this is really fucking hard? Well, let, let's be clear because after that happened, you know I've been fired twice. Yes. We're going to talk about our message. So <laughs> let's not, let's do, yeah. you know, that wasn't like, and the movie ended. The next part of okay, the movie. Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, it was interesting. I, the Maybe the the best advice I got was from my mom, who is not, who was a stay-at-home work in the home mom, um, who after I had my daughter and she came up to visit and I remember sitting outside a restaurant with her crying because I had a toddler, I had an infant, I had a boss who said, you're dead, you know, thanks, you know, glad you had the baby, everybody healthy, good. Your deadline for your research report is two weeks from now. 
And there are pictures of me, which have been destroyed, of me <laughs> nursing my daughter while working on the computer and sitting outside a restaurant with my mom and crying and saying, I can't do this. And she turned to me and she said, of course you can. You're just going to be tired for years. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh, that, oh, okay. Did and that make you feel better? It did. Yeah. It actually did because it was just so practical. Yeah. And then there was another friend of mine who said to me at that same time, when I'm like, it's so hard, it's so hard. And she said, look, if you can hang on for the next few years, you're going to Zoom. Mm-hmm. They're going to be Anyone you worked hard. with, did you go to? Could you go to anyone you worked with? Not really. Not really. Remember, I was, it was me and the guys. Yeah. And so to go to a guy um, and say, I just had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. Now I'm going to have to, you know, I want to work through this. You know, how, how do I emotionally work through this? How do I physically work through this? How do I keep the research going? You know, yeah. you can't do that. Yeah. Now, yeah. I got caught crying in my office, so yeah. they, they knew, but there, there just wasn't that um, mentorship. What were you like? Because we're going to talk about kind of the before you were fired and the after you yeah. were fired. What were you like as a boss before you were fired? Oh, I think I've been the same before and okay. after. Um, I All of Wall Street says we put the client at the center. And I tried to really put the client at the center. So I talked about when I ran Bernstein, we weren't in multiple lines of business with conflicts. We got out of lines of business and paid a financial price for it up until the time it was clear mm-hmm. we were the non-conflicted one. Um, I got fired the first time for advocating for and returning. And for those who don't know, where did you work? I worked, so I was the CEO of Smith Barney. Yeah. So I worked for Citigroup and was the CEO of Smith Barney and the City Private Bank. And during the financial crisis of 2007, 2008, we had missold products to our clients that we really thought were low risk and we really thought in a bad market would go down a few cents and they went down all their cents. And I went to my very brand new boss who I barely knew and said, I think we should reimburse clients. And he said, I think we shouldn't. And we got in a business fight. And it eventually went to the board. And I won. And he fired me. And so, you know, I, I sort of felt horrible about it. But also, like, you so know. So I want to talk about, like, that moment. Because yeah. and that it, doesn't, was, it doesn't matter how much money you've made, how successful you are, how old you are. Like, that's a moment. That's a that that hits your ego. That is a moment where you're like, "Do I go call my dad?" Like, is that when you found that out? What did you do? Did you go to the bathroom and cry? Did you storm out? Like, what what was that reactive moment? And was that the first time you'd been fired? Yes. So that was the first time. Um, it it was hard. Um, and by the way, on the money, you know, you think about everybody on Wall Street makes a lot of money, and they do. Mm-hmm. However, Citigroup stock went from 53 yeah. to less than one. Yeah. And so it's ironic because a lot of people who tried to do well lost their life savings yeah. um, during the crisis. And nobody writes about that. So, mm-hmm. you know, but I remember we were negotiating my leaving, and I turned around, and it was already on CNBC. And so there's this out-of-body experience when you turn around and Sally Krawcheck, you know, is out at City and you're like, oh, that poor Sally Krawcheck. <gasps> That's oh, me! Right. That's me! You know, there's oh my, my picture! God. Oh my God, what yeah. a terrible picture! Yeah. Right? It's just this totally out-of-body experience. And I I um, packed up my stuff and I went home and I started drinking. What'd you do? Right, that's a normal reaction. Do you want, do you want some wine? Should we I drank yeah, 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 like, now we should have I drank a Chardonnay for most of the day. Yeah. Um, and spent a couple days semi-drinking and not showering and feeling sort of sorry for myself and allowing myself to do that. And then a few days later, I'm like, okay, let's. So, what's next? 
after seeing something like that where you have a disagreement and then you see on CNBC, right? Yep. You're out. How do you trust that same industry? Like, I feel like I would be like, I don't want to work with anyone again. I'm done. Yeah. I'm over this. Like, how do you mentally go back? I'm too trusting. Because then I get the call from Bank of America. Ken Lewis calls me. Sally, you did such a great job at Smith Barney. We just bought Merrill Lynch. The thing's a disaster. Our financial advisors are leaving at a 50, you know, 50% attrition mm-hmm. rate. Can you come? You're the one. Can you come and turn it around? Okay, Ken. This is going to be great. It's even bigger than Smith Barney. It's my redemption. And then you come in and, oh, but, you know, you can't sign a contract because the regulators won't allow us to. Oh, Ken, I trust you. Handshake. And then you go in and he uh, tells, he told me he was going to be there for two years and he left less than two months later. And uh, my new boss and I just never saw eye to eye. And so I completely trusted again Mm -hmm. and then had the you know, sort of pie thrown in my face. And that's only half of the story. There's a lot more to come. But first, you know what we hate? Waiting. A lot of things. Yeah, oh, okay. a lot of things. But we hate waiting, especially like when we're traveling. You wake up early, you make time to get to the airport, and then you're there waiting to board. And so we we found a fix. We did. We now get Delta Comfort Plus. Uh, I really have to say it is definitely worth it. You board quickly. You board sooner. You get extra leg room, which uh, I like to sprawl out. Sorry for those who sit next to me. And uh, I need that leg room. <laughs> you do. You've got long lens. So I do. Thank Delta's you. Delta's a helpful partner. Um, um, but also, we tend to pack our carry-on bags like Whoa. Uh, And uh, the dedicated bin space makes it not so awkward when we squeeze it in there. And I will say, you know, we we love our wine. Anyone who knows the skim knows we love it. You get unlimited drinks and snacks on the flight. Unlimited. Unlimited. Let's not pretend we didn't know that. Let's talk about fire number two. Yeah, that was even worse. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to talk about the good stuff after this, by the way. But but this, I mean, this is, you know, and again, I want to talk about why we're talking about this, which is like, you are someone that when we started the skim, we literally made a list of who are, specifically the women that we need to get in front of, who are leaders in their respective industries. You were the only person that we put on the finance (laughs) list. And it was also something that I think, you know, we have friends that are women in finance, and you were the You're top their of their idol. list. Thank you. You are Thank their idol. You. I mean, I literally texted all my friends in finance this morning, and they can't believe I. You're me. very nice. Well, and, I'm, I'm because I'm. What what is, what is the the um, Weebles? Did you? No. Did they no. probably they probably I didn't have when you were growing us. up. Yeah. yeah. It was before you. Yeah. Um, weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And so it was a little um, plastic blow up toy that when I was a kid, you'd hit it. Yeah. And then it would bounce back up. Yeah. <laughs> then you hit it, it yeah. bounce back up. And I'm a weeble. Yeah. So anyway, um, okay. Why was, so why was number two worse? Well, before we get there, I, I want to tell a story that hasn't been widely told. I want to tell the story about when I knew it wasn't going to work. Um, and I want to tell the story about what was probably my most humiliating moment at work. I had horrifying moments, like when mm-hmm. the Fed, caught, we were talking earlier, when the Fed called me, the Federal Reserve, and said, the financial system is cracking. What are you seeing at Merrill Lynch and mm-hmm. our, or Smith Barney at the mm-hmm. time? And I remember, like, this is scary. Right. That was bad. This humiliation was worse. I knew it wasn't going to work when the CEO, in the new CEO, invited me to dinner. And I thought, oh, this is great. We're going to talk business. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk the products. We're going to hang out together. He's going to mentor me. He's going to advise me. And we sat down. And with a stony, angry face, he told me that I had been in the press, that the business I was running, Merrill Lynch, 
and I had been in the press too much. And that there was an article that had come out that he referenced, and then he referenced the fact that he had gone on TV for earnings at CNBC and that Merrill Lynch was the topic of the earnings, and he thought that was inappropriate. And I sort of said, but that was good because um, Mm -hmm. Merrill Lynch, the business I'm running, had the best results of the whole company, so that was good, right? And he said, no, that was bad. Your profile is too high. And I said, well, wait a second. I've done no interviews whatsoever, except that the company has approved, and that's been one or two. Um, and the we're getting you know this this press because things are good. And he said, "This is your problem. You need to get your profile down. You need to take care of this." And I was but 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 I was so embarrassed yeah. because the impl- implication was I was looking for attention, right? And that I've later sort of dug up some research that says when women are seen to be looking for power or attention, when men are, it's like, Mm -hmm. guys are guys. It is what it is. When women are, it evokes an emotion in men and women of sort of, you know, the research said disgust. Yeah. Right? This how dare they? This is not the natural order of things. When you think about that moment today, Mm -hmm. and especially looking at, like, the climate that, you know, we're all in and, and, um, you know, when— when you think about that moment, you say that your reaction was embarrassment. If you had to replay that moment, how would you have reacted differently? I'd have walked out. If, if, if I knew then what I know today, I would have stood at the table and walked out because mm-hmm. that was the sign that there was no way this guy was ever going to like Did me. Did you say, I'm sorry? Oh, my gosh. I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know that I said I'm sorry, but I, I sort of said, but it's good. Mm-hmm. But I haven't looked for it. But how would you have me fix it? Brian, I am, as you mentioned, one of the very few women in the industry. Right. So yeah. by its very nature, it attracts attention. Yeah. And he said, I don't know. This is your problem. You fix it. Get your profile down. It gets worse. The next morning, so I left just so embarrassed. Yeah. The next morning, he sent the head of HR to me who infantilized me by saying, tell me what you heard last night. Read it back to me. Not, you know, like the they were CEO like, set, like building you know, a case trying or, to see Or it. just like I was in kindergarten. Let's right. make sure she understood what yeah. she was told. And um, it was just, it was so humiliating. Yeah. And, and what I can see now, you know, and what I sort of knew then is this isn't going to work, mm-hmm. right? That if good results are not enough, mm-hmm. this just isn't going to work. Was that your worst day? That was my, my most humiliating day. And I just felt like I'd done something wrong, and what could I do better? And maybe maybe my business results shouldn't be as good if yeah. they're crappy like everybody else's. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, you find out that you're yeah. you're fired. And then later, yeah. so about a year later, um, and again, the business results, yeah. it's the only business that's growing. Earnings are going up. We're gaining share. And it was, hey, you're being reorged out. And that, you know, I wasn't completely surprised, but you're still like— but why hmm. weren't you completely surprised? Because as you said, you were one of the only areas that was doing well. Well, you know, it's funny because you have sort of both sides of the brain because I kept telling my team, guys, this is business. This isn't social. And so let's just deliver great results, do it in the right way, and everything's going to be fine. But there was the other side of my brain that sort of knew if your boss doesn't like you, yeah. it's it's hard to have a long tenure. Yeah. So how did you go from that 
to becoming an entrepreneur. Yeah, so then I drank again. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this time I'm like, I'll never forget. That night, Gary walks in. I'm sitting there with a scotch because I'm upgraded. Oh, good. Okay. Obviously. Yeah. And Gary walks in and he's like, would you like some dinner? And I'm like, no, I do not want no. dinner because that is going to interrupt the absorption right. of the alcohol yes. into my system. And, you know, it was really interesting, though, because— I really, I was like, give yourself a day and then get back on that horse, right? So I find it fascinating that, like you said, give yourself a day. Yep. Because I think I would have given myself a month. And I think I, maybe you would have given yourself two weeks. I think I would have wallowed more. I think um, like a long weekend. Okay. So, all right. Well, then but I, the, I have a lot of progress to make then. But I, but then I would have like translated into other things. But I think yeah. like there are a lot of people and I like, you know, I, I know that probably at a different point in my life, I would have said, oh my God, like I would have taken like a year. I would have gone to therapy. Like I, you know, yeah. what, how, what is it in you that you only, you gave yourself, let's just say like a metaphorical day. Like how do you, how did you become that, yeah. that wobbly character that, uh, yeah. that was able to, to pivot? Well, I'll tell you the truth. My business results were great. Mm-hmm. And so as I looked back on these, mm-hmm. these falls, one was because I did the right thing for clients and the other happened despite great business results. And so it felt like more of a personality thing. The other reason I wanted to snap back quickly is because I did something that was terrifying to me, but really quite useful, which is I called the members of the board of the company. Mm -hmm. And the reason I did that is because I wanted to learn as much from it as I possibly could. So I called them and I said, those who would call me back, thank you for the opportunity. And what could I have done better? And to get their perspective of what it was. And their answer was nobody was in the room fighting for you. We were aware of the good business results, but... Really, you know, they were saying, imagine how much better they'd be yeah. if someone else had, mm-hmm. had been yep. doing it. So, and then I, you know, my real decision point was as I received offers to go back to big companies, did I do that, which was co- in a way comfortable, but here were two bits of evidence that maybe, maybe, yeah. was, maybe I should start my own thing. <laughs> and before we go into all of yeah. us, which is next, yeah. um, when you heard no one was fighting for you. Mm-hmm. Did that show you that you needed to place more of an importance on building a network? Yeah, and and I sort of knew it. I mean, I wasn't a child, and I knew you needed a mentor, and I knew you needed a sponsor, and I know you need a great network. Um, But when you go into a job like I did where the CEO who hires you immediately quits— Right, mm-hmm. you know, you, you it's hard to build it yeah. that fast, right? I didn't, I hadn't built that over time. But the great news was I had a strong network, mm-hmm. that I had understood the power of that already. And so what really almost gives me chills is what happened is all of a sudden the phone calls started to come in mm-hmm. where people were like, yeah, they're a bunch of bums. Come do this. Uh, come do that. Come work at this big company. And I didn't. I didn't do any of them. Because I really wanted to make sure the next move was going to be exactly the right move, not the, oh, I'm going to, you know, yeah. now I'm going to run another yeah. brokerage business, you know, for a third time. I wanted to be really sure. So how did you know Alvest was the right thing to do? It took years. So in a way, I bounced, you know, we say I bounced back. Um, but what I started to do, which I did have the luxury of doing, I was fortunate. I'm, um, my husband is gainfully employed, so mm-hmm. I was able to take the time. I'll tell you what I did. I would wake up in the morning and start writing down my thoughts. 
what was important to me, what motivated me, what I wanted to do in life. When I died, what I wanted to lie on my deathbed thinking about, mm-hmm. and then I'd do the same thing again at night oh. after drinking a glass of wine. <laughs> and, and while <laughs> I know, <laughs> sometimes, but the reason, there, there is actually a method to the madness because I had to get my subconscious working, Yeah, that's right? And what I learned about myself is it wasn't the money, it wasn't the jet, though I loved that frigging jet. <laughs> I cannot tell you how amazing the jet was. It wasn't the car and driver, also amazing. It wasn't the chocolate cookies I had delivered at three o'clock, the most amazing. That sounds, yeah. they were amazing. Yeah. Yeah. But I had to really think about, was I willing to give up that kind yeah. of prestige and what mattered to me? And what mattered to me was got me to Elevest, which was, hold on, when I had a, an insight somewhere through there that women don't invest as much as men do. Mm-hmm. It cost women hundreds of thousands, your listeners, some of them million plus over their lives, and that we blame ourselves. But that, hold on, wait a second, as we've mentioned multiple times, the investing industry, Wall Street, is overwhelmingly male. Therefore, it's not too surprisingly that the industry has been built for males, mm-hmm. and, and it has excluded women. And what obviously, you know, would help propel our story and why we went after this audience is the fact, and totally um, is part of your story, which is this was an industry created by men for men, but now women are the breadwinners. Right. And uh, which is why I think we're personally so excited by what you're doing. I want to wrap up with me, what, what I'm really curious about. Actually, I have two questions if I can sneak them in. What would you redo? Looking back, knowing what you know mm-hmm. now, if you could go back in time, are there any moments that you'd yeah. be like, why did I do that? that First way? husband. Okay. okay. I got married 16 minutes out of college yeah. because I was from the South, and yeah. that's sort of what we did. And, um, you know, I would have waited until I was more mature mm-hmm. and lost a lot of emotional energy in a relationship that, you know, I shouldn't have been in. My last question. Yeah. Have you had your moment, your, your like F you moment to the people that kind of wronged you over the years. Like when, when you think about, you know, how you were treated, how you were, you weren't treated with respect, people didn't yeah. fight for you. Have you had that moment of like, haha, see me now? Um, yes and no. You know, the, the couple of moments I've had that have been amazing um, is that it, it happened quite a bit early on and it happened once about three months ago when I'm literally walking down the street and somebody will stop me and say, are you Sally Krawcheck? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> and this person will say, I was a client of Smith Barney and you were the only Wall Street executive who said you done, y'all had done wrong and returned my money. Thank you. And that's amazing. That's a moment. That's very amazing. Cool. The other moment I had is about a year ago, for whatever reason, I randomly ran into over the course of about four weeks three of the former directors of Citigroup. And all three of them apologized to me for wow. allowing me to be fired. And so well, that's that- the moment. That's, well, yeah. you know, it was and it wasn't. Because of course I said, thank you. And of yeah. course I was like, ha ha. And then I'm like, that apology and $2.50 will get me what? A small Starbucks coffee? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, yeah. so could you- Well, you were past it. Make, may, yeah. Maybe give me the money that yeah. Vic, you know, the CEO yeah. didn't vest yeah. that I could have had and yeah. my job back and all that right. stuff. And so it was sort of amazing, but it was also like, yeah. dude, could yeah. you have been there? Yeah. Right. Okay. So I've yeah. got, I've got two. 
Um, the first is you talked about sitting outside with your mom, yeah. not knowing how you were going to handle all mm-hmm. this. How is the culture that you're creating at your own company different or thinking about, like, do you think about that moment and try to yeah. create a different workforce? Absolutely. How are you doing that? Absolutely. First of all, um, you know, we're trying to build a truly, truly cognitively diverse company um, and that we embrace diversity of all kinds because what, what I've learned on Wall Street, and, you know, I don't want to go into it too much, but the very fact that Wall Street is pale and male mm-hmm. and middle-aged and therefore things like, of course, led in good part to the financial crisis. And so I'm a huge believer in diversity um, as a business driver. Um, I'm also a big believer in allowing people to act like grownups, and we have a policy of do your work where you want to do your work, and take your vacation when you want to take your vacation, and you know what you need to get done mm-hmm. and what the company's doing, but everybody's got that flexibility, um, and it it really makes for a happy workplace, so it's really exciting, and to be able to build a culture like that from the ground up is amazing. So last one, you talked about this sense of standing up for your clients mm-hmm. and doing what's right. Do you think that, you know, now in 2018, that that sense, that Wall Street has a greater sense of responsibility as no. a whole? No. I, no, I don't. Um, there are a lot of great people who work on Wall Street. Um, however, the industry is aging. Certainly the investing industry mm-hmm. is aging. Financial advisors are aging. Um, the there's still quite a bit of financial leverage in the system, which can be dangerous, and the profile hasn't changed. So they have not embraced diversity, which means they haven't embraced difference. In fact, gender diversity in the years after the crisis went backwards. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. I mean, you know, an underlying theme of, of all that we've talked about is I've had these ups and downs, and I just can't believe I've been so fortunate to have the ups and the downs. Um, but part, as I mentioned earlier, part of the reason I was able to take the time to build the kind of company that I want to, part of the reason I didn't have to panic when I had my downs has to do with, quite frankly, money. And so, you know, as we've gone through this hashtag me too, Mm -hmm. something that unites the women who have been able to speak up is they have not been necessarily financially independent, Mm -hmm. but they've been financially strong. And so they could say, you know what, I I can afford to lose my job if I have to. I can afford, you know, to have my voice heard, whereas I know we're all thinking about the women who can't afford to do that. And so Elevest, for me, is really so enormously mission-driven because if we can help women, we know about the gender pay gap, but if we can help women close that gender investing gap, that makes them stronger. Mm -hmm. That makes their family stronger, and that makes for a better society and economy. So, you know, I'm all into this. It sounds a little crass, more money for women, but we need to get more money to women. I don't think it sounds crass. That's a great note to cheers on. Yeah, it's a great (laughs) note to end on and a great thought. Let's get more money, more women. Yeah. Very good. Thank Thank you, you guys. Thank you for having me. Thanks for hanging out with us. Join us next week for another episode of Skim from the Couch. And if you can't wait until then, subscribe to our daily email newsletter that gives you all the important news and information you need to start your day. Sign up at theskim.com. That's the S-K-I-M-M dot com. Two M's for a little something extra.